Hey, I know you're probably driving or running or cleaning the house or doing something else when you're listening to this, but look, if you're a B2B marketer and you need to start generating revenue from your marketing, then you have to check out our 12-week program, the B2B Incubator. It's built for small, in-house B2B marketing teams with limited time and budget. We give you the strategy, the templates, and the tools to start driving revenue, not just leads. So if you're ready to act on all the advice Kevin and I give you, next time you take that first sip of coffee in the morning, make sure you head to the B2B Incubator and apply now. There's only 10 spots available per cohort with our next one launching at the end of May, 2024. Remember, the B2B Incubator, apply now so you don't miss out. We've had B2B marketing managers, CMOs, marketers in demand generals, content leads, and more all go through this program and they're currently executing the demand strategies that they've created. Some are now even contributing as much as 80% of the pipeline to their business after working through it. Make sure you check out the b2bincubator.com and apply now to start driving more demand and more revenue for your brand. Okay, let's get on with the show. Welcome to the B2B Playbook Podcast. Each week, we discuss strategies and tactics to help B2B businesses grow online. We're your hosts, Kevin and George, a couple of digital marketing professionals. We've waded through the noise and made the mistakes so you don't have to. The B2B world has changed and you need to put your customers at the heart of your marketing. We'll cover how you can use our framework, the five Bs, to create a brand that customers are ready to buy from, love and advocate for. We'll get insights from successful people in the industry and cover the latest trends to keep you on the cutting edge of the B2B world. If you're interested in B2B marketing strategies and tactics that work, then this podcast is for you. Subscribe to get the latest from the B2B playbook first. Remember, successful B2B marketing starts with the buyer. Welcome back to the B2B playbook. Kevin, I have a bone to pick with you. Oh, what's that, George? Kevin, I'm out there, you know, we're trying to grow the B2B Playbook page and something that I'm trying to test with a, a social media media um, buddy of mine, Medioli Arias from um, Chili Piper, we're trying to test to see if using a series of photos in a LinkedIn post gets you better reach. And I think it probably does. So Kev, I've gone back and I've tried to find photos of uh, the different setups that we've had to show the evolution of the B2B playbook over the last year. And we went from, I mean, I went from hiding under a blanket to setting up a little fort to actually just realizing that um, I can just do this in a regular room and I don't need to hide. And I thought it would be awesome to show our journey as our setups have evolved to be a little bit more sophisticated. And Kev, I remember I asked you last week, hey, Kev, do you have any photos of our first sessions that we recorded together? And what did you say, Kevin? I don't have any photos, George. And why is that, Kevin? Because I distinctly remember you taking photos and videos. Well, you know me, George. I'm just uh, a bit of a neat freak in many aspects of my life. And photos, digital photos even, are no exception. I tend to regularly clear out photos that I deem not worthy of keeping. <laughs> so let me get this right, Kevin. You've gone through, first of all, do you schedule in this cleanse? I do, I do. Is it a monthly cleanse, weekly cleanse? God, you're a sicko. Uh, it's, not that, it's not that often, George. You know, on the offhand, sometimes uh, I'll do a quick clean here and there if I feel like the number of photos are getting too much on my phone. 
Um, but generally, I would schedule this sort of move every six to 12 months. I actually think that that makes it even worse because then you have <laughs> consciously looked through it and you've gone, this is not worth remembering and you deleted it. Yeah, George, you know, like in the, in the rush to clear things out, it's a, it's a very high bar that I work with. What others would practice in, in their wardrobe as part of minimalism, uh, I practice <laughs> as part of my digital file management. So it's a very high bar. You're a lunatic. I mean, haven't you seen <laughs> like Google Photos, you can upload as many bloody photos as you want and now you can search everything anyway. So you can, it's so easy to find that photo that you want. Uh, I don't subscribe to that, George. You know, I uh, privacy still plays on the back of my mind sometimes, which is, I guess, a bit ironic given that we're running a, a podcast where my voice is out there. We do video on LinkedIn, so my face is out there as well. Um, and as tech improves these days, I'm sure deep fakes will make it likely that we don't even have to record these sessions and people can make me say whatever they want me to say. But uh, yeah, it's it's one of those things where I don't feel comfortable putting everything in the cloud yet. I think you might actually have no idea just how crazy I get with this stuff, George. Um, I also schedule regular time in to clear out you know, those accounts that you don't use very often, I delete those accounts and logins over time and change passwords uh, on a regular basis as well. So maybe every three to six months, I go through and uh, delete uh, all those apps and accounts that I don't use. Things like, you know, the KFC app for the one time that I ordered through the app to get a discount or maybe another ride sharing service that I use one time to make use of a promotion. These are the things that get cleared out on a regular basis. Good Lord, Kevin. I mean, you're probably, you've got to be there surely just praying that one day the uh, internet apocalypse does happen where there's a great unveiling of everyone's passwords. So then your return on your time was actually worth it. <laughs> uh, I don't really think like that, George, although that might be a, a side benefit if that does ever happen. Uh, but I really think it's it's just a, a way to help me keep my mind clear. You know, I'm one of those people that has things on the back of their minds and this is one way to keep the beast contained. Well, all I'm hearing is you don't care about me or us. So whatever, Kevin, let's just get on with the podcast. Let's talk about <laughs> what we're going to talk about. Well, what are we going to talk about this week? We're talking about B-Scene with ads in the last couple of episodes. This season, we've been talking about B-Scene. We're now onto the section where we're talking about the approach of doing this with paid ads. And as part of that process, we talked about how BCing with ads involves first building a feedback loop from your content to ads. And then you need to develop an understanding of the ad channels available to you before you choose one that works for you. And that's the topic of this week's episode. How do you develop that understanding of ad channels available to you? Now, George, this is something we've talked about in a previous episode. It was all the way back in season one when we were just introducing the five beast framework and doing an overview of each of these sections when we talked about this concept. I think it was a, a very helpful concept and a very helpful framework for looking at different channels available to you. But now we're talking specifically about ad channels and I think it's worth a recap anyways. All right, Kev, that all sounds great. So what should be our approach to evaluating channels? Well, let's first remind ourselves that when considering paid channels and which ones to use, what's actually important is to understand the why behind each of these channels. So why are they there and where are they going? 
With that understanding, you can then determine which channels best suit you and your business going forward. Which one aligns best with where you wanna go, where your customers are, where your dream customers are, and which one will serve you enough to invest in your time and energy to build a presence on that particular channel. Now that's the approach that we talked about when we talked about organic channels, about putting out helpful content. And it's a similar approach that you wanna adopt when looking at pay channels, except instead of looking at you know, your time investment uh, to build a presence on a particular channel, you might be talking about how much money you need to spend to get into one of those channels. But the key consideration is the same. You're still trying to reach that same target audience that you're trying to hit, get into your dream customers, and instead of working your way in, which is what we've been talking about up until now with Be Helpful Content, this is buying your way in. All right, so why is that the approach? Well, with this understanding, you can then determine which of these channels best suit you. We've already said that. And this is because once you understand which ones to invest in, you also know how to leverage them to your advantage as well. And the reason why we focus on this framework approach to it is because channels are constantly developing and changing. Uh, if it's not the channels bringing out new ad formats or new ad tools or features, it's whole new channels altogether. We've all seen how quickly TikTok has risen in the last couple of years. Even things like Snapchat make a renaissance over time. So things are constantly changing in that space, but this framework itself is fairly evergreen. So this approach you can take forward whenever a new channel comes up or an old channel is changing and coming to the fore again. And Kev, I just wanna jump in and say that for our listeners, particularly if you're in a smaller team and you have limited resources, it's actually far more important to properly evaluate this channel before you invest your time into it, um, whether that be organically or actually buying your way into it using that very precious budget of yours. So that's why it's important to apply this framework and actually take some time aside to think, is this channel worth us investing in? Uh, especially if you don't have the capabilities to run this in-house. You know, if you can't run it in-house and you have to then partner with an agency or someone else to help you run it, well, that's always an expense in getting that set up, paying them a management fee. So we wanna make sure that it's the right channel for you first before you go and do all that. And it really helps with those conversations with agencies because over time, they're going to give new suggestions, suggestions for new channels, and they put those in front of you and say, would you like to try these? And the same framework applies to help you understand should you go ahead with those tests that are being proposed. All right, George, so let's kick straight into the framework. Really, this framework for understanding ad channels is just a series of questions that we ask to then evaluate that channel. And those questions are, who's in charge of the channel? What are the goals? And who's the audience on that channel? And generally, in what direction is this changing? How is that audience changing on the channel? How's their goals? and the ambitions of the people in charge of the channel changing. George, I think it's probably easiest to illustrate how these questions work in practice to help you gain an understanding by giving an example and talking through that example in relation to these questions. The one that comes to mind and is probably most applicable to a lot of B2B businesses and people listening to our podcast is LinkedIn. All right, folks, quick breather here. In my time in B2B marketing, generally I've come to realize that there are just certain tools that can be an absolute game changer. And that's why I'm really excited to talk about Leadfeeder. Uh, it's a tool that helps you cut through the data and turn those website visitors into solid leads and opportunities for your business. Leadfeeder shows you which companies are checking out your site, tracking their behavior, 
and it integrates all of this with your CRM. And the result is it's basically like a secret weapon for targeted lead engagement, and it really makes it easier for your team to convert website traffic into sales. Head to leadfeeder.com, give it a free demo, and you'll also get a free extended premium trial when you let the rep know that you found out about Leadfeeder through the B2B Playbook podcast. That's leadfeeder.com. Okay, check it out. Back to the show. Yeah, yeah, let's do LinkedIn. I think it really makes sense to do LinkedIn. As you said, Kev, is the one that's really relevant to most of our listeners. And I just think moving forward, Kev, and we'll probably get into this, more and more it's going to be very, very crucial for businesses to be active on this platform. So that first question, Kev, was who's in charge of the channel? Kev, who's the boss of LinkedIn? We know that Microsoft owns LinkedIn. They might still be a fairly separate team at LinkedIn, but for the most part, they're getting more and more integrated into Microsoft after they were bought out by Microsoft. And so Microsoft, for all intents and purposes, we can say is therefore in charge of this channel. And that's something worth swinging back around to later in the piece, but suffice to say that because Microsoft owns LinkedIn and because they have an overrepresentation, particularly in the US market with businesses, uh, because providing software or hardware, wherever it might be packages for businesses, that means Microsoft and LinkedIn is working probably more towards servicing that industry or that audience of businesses. That's really important one to keep in mind, particularly in the context of B2B marketing as we're talking about here. Great. So Microsoft own it. And Kev, I'm just going to add one more piece of information, which I think will become relevant later on, is that it might have been five years ago, I can't remember, but Microsoft purchased lynda.com, which was an online education platform where you could go and learn a whole range of topics, you know, from digital marketing uh, through to courses on, I don't know, anything, literally anything you can learn. It was on lynda.com and Microsoft bought them and uh, bought that as part of LinkedIn, and that's what's now become LinkedIn Learning. Yeah, great point, George, great point. Okay, Kev, so that was the first question, who's in charge of the channel? We said it's Microsoft. Now, the second question in the framework is, what's their goal? Kev, as far as you can tell, what's Microsoft's goal when it comes to LinkedIn? Well, we've often discussed this, George, and I think Microsoft is the one that stands out a little bit. Generally speaking, when you look at Microsoft's goal, like most other ad Uh, channel providers, their goal is to provide the best experience for their users and customers so that a cycle of growth establishes itself towards the use of their products. Now, what I mean by that, that cycle looks something like this. Microsoft gives a better user experience. This leads to more users coming onto their platforms, coming onto their spaces, whether that be Bing, uh, so Bing search engine or LinkedIn. And because there's increased users and because there's user loyalty that's increased with that user experience that's given, this in turn leads to more revenue for Microsoft because they're able to sell more ad space. They might be able to get advertisers into their events, into their ecosystems better. They might be able to make better deals with other suppliers or subcontractors as part of their ecosystem. So that all equals more revenue for Microsoft. And that increased revenue leads to more product development and less competition because the competition who are able to match the user experience that they offer is reduced because they have more revenue and more ability to invest in product development. And that comes back round to the other side of the cycle. 
which is, again, Microsoft gives a better user experience. And so you can see this cycle continues and is self-propagating in a sense that the better uh, user experience they give, the more users they get on their platform, which leads to more revenue, which leads to more development and therefore more user experience improvements. Importantly, this gives them the ability to demand higher quality content from their users. So the content that's developed on LinkedIn becomes better because Microsoft can change their algorithms to surface more of that high quality content. And this again also feeds into better user experiences and again helps that cycle repeat itself and improve. Um, so that's really important to understand that there's this cycle of growth that each of these ad um, suppliers, ad online space suppliers are trying to build into their products. And Microsoft with LinkedIn is no exception. Part of this, as George was saying earlier, this is where Lynda comes in. Because Microsoft can add Lynda as part of their LinkedIn experience, LinkedIn learning, I think it's now called, they're using that as a way of adding a better user experience for people on LinkedIn. And that helps service their intended user base better. Microsoft, as I mentioned earlier, is generally reaching a more corporate audience with their programs and products servicing that corporate need in terms of tech support. And this is extended right into personal social media. Even on LinkedIn, it's still a fairly professional setting. It's still more geared towards that professional space, that corporate space. So this means that likely going forward, their developments, their investments will still gear towards corporates and professionals and basically people in that business environment. Very important again for the B2B space that we're talking about. Definitely, Kevin. And that's why I'm really confident that when we're actually putting resources into building a, a brand, like the B2B Playbook brand on LinkedIn, I'm confident that LinkedIn are just going to give us more and more tools to make that brand feel more personal. And they're going to give us tools to grow that brand. And they keep doing it. They keep releasing new features that make it easier and easier for us to grow the B2B Playbook. I mean, just one of the latest tools that they released, Kevin, is now... Uh, you can very easily switch between your personal profile and your company page profile. So I can go to my newsfeed and I can comment as the B2B playbook on any post, which you know might seem like a small thing, but in the scheme of things, it's huge because now all of a sudden it's almost recognition that uh, LinkedIn are allowing us to treat these companies as personalities. And I think that's enormous, Kev. That's a huge step forward, but completely aligned to what we believe their ultimate goal is yeah that's right george and because we can understand all this stuff because we can glean that intent from all the actions they've taken how their products are developing and by the way listeners you know we're not insiders at linkedin by any means or microsoft it's just a matter of reading the news figuring out what's happening on microsoft and linkedin's and and kind of piecing together a lot of this stuff and a lot of this makes sense is transferable between the different platforms. You know, they're all trying to build that cycle of growth. Uh, it's just the only difference is sort of like what audience are they trying to build? What audience are they trying to build on their platforms? What creators are they engaging and rewarding? And you can see based on the action, that really gives away what their ultimate goal is. So now you can have that clear understanding of what's, who's in charge of the channel Microsoft and what their goal is, which is to grow the cycle uh, of growth and establish that within the use of their products. 
and in particular, this this leaning towards a more corporate audience. Yeah, and I think to add to that corporate audience, you know, they want to be really that that one stop shot for professional growth, and you know that's why you can come to LinkedIn and you can learn from the best. You can come and learn from you know people who are very vocal on LinkedIn, and it's a, an amazing place to learn. You can go to their LinkedIn Learning Hub, and also it's an amazing place to connect with people. Um, that, you know, could be of benefit to you in the future, uh, not just to learn from, but, you know, people that you potentially want to get jobs from in the future. So it's becoming really this melting pot of professionals. And Kev, I think the platform is only going to become more and more sticky as the line continues to be blurred between our professional and our personal lives, which is happening more and more with this movement to, to, uh, to work from home. I think that LinkedIn's prospects moving forward of being that place for professional development and even maybe in a bit of personal development is very, very strong. Totally agree, George. And listeners, that's why we're building the B2B Playbook podcast in a lot of ways on the LinkedIn platform. All right, listeners. So with that strong understanding of who's in charge of the LinkedIn channel and what their goal is, it kind of informs your understanding of who the audience is going to be on that channel and where that direction is going to go. Because we know that Microsoft is so focused on corporates, because we know that LinkedIn is likely doing the same as a result being owned by Microsoft, it makes sense that the reach of the channel will naturally be better suited to B2B businesses over time. That's great news for George and myself building the B2B playbook uh, in a lot of ways on LinkedIn platforms, as I said before. But it also means it's a great platform, whether that's ads, Uh, as we're talking about in this episode or otherwise for B2B businesses like yours. And that's very much likely to continue into the future. As we said, a lot of the actions that they take in terms of developing the platform, you know, in the last couple of years, right up until um, allowing people to comment both as businesses, as business personalities, as George said, and in a personal capacity. That means as long as Microsoft remains focused on servicing corporations, as there would be, there's no reason to change that, then this LinkedIn platform is likely to also be focused on businesses and therefore be a great channel for B2B businesses. Another reason why we think this is likely to stay exactly the same over time is because these are probably the more profitable clients for them to service. For them, you know, they're used to dealing with corporates. They have a competitive edge with the brand that they have with those corporations. It's easier for them to integrate different uh, products and new features into LinkedIn because it's all owned under the same umbrella company and it can be connected into the other products, whether that's software or hardware on the Microsoft side. So they obviously have a much stronger competitive advantage in servicing this business market. We saw the same thing happen with Google Ads, didn't we, Kev, when we were really performance marketers. We saw that um, really Google Ads, so if you run ads on Google Ads, they would normally assign you an account representative. And over time, it got harder and harder to get an account representative unless you were spending more and more money. And I think the reason for that, Kev, is Google just at some point decided that these smaller clients, even if you were spending like 50, 60K a month, it wasn't enough for them to justify giving you an account manager because they just wanted to focus on the big end of town because they're the ones where they were making the real money. I mean, probably just a way of them applying their 80-20 rule to their own business. And I've no doubt that LinkedIn will probably progress the same way. So they're focused on servicing corporations 
And I think naturally over time, they'll probably lean into those bigger corporations because at the end of the day, they need those paid advertising dollars. And that's what really, really makes these companies profitable. I mean, Kev, I just heard that Google alone, I mean, they make so much that they uh, their business is bigger than the GDP of Brazil or something. Like it, it's insane. And still the majority of that revenue comes from that paid advertising dollar. So I have no doubt that eventually that's where it all leads to. Yeah, totally agree with you, George. And listeners, that's it. That's the framework you need to understand these various different channels and see which ones um, really potentially are going in the same direction as yourself. We'll talk more about that in the next episode, but just a quick recap on the framework for understanding a particular ad channel and how to evaluate it. First, ask who's in charge of the channel, then what's their goal, and who's the audience on that channel, and generally in what direction is all this changing. That is it. That's the four questions you need to ask to help you understand any ad channel, whether that's old, new, uh, in the present or in the future, something that still needs to be developed in the future. You can apply the same framework to understand the different ad channels. All right, Cam, some final uh, notes and observations on this is, look, it's worth noting that because these channels always want better content to grow their user base, to make that platform more sticky, you can improve your content to what you know they're going to consider higher quality content. In Microsoft's case, content that corporations find helpful is likely better. So educational content works really, really well. You should also know, listeners, that over time, Microsoft are going to push more ads in front of their users. So again, it's really important to use your reach on these channels while you can afford it to actually build maybe even an email list so you can talk directly to your users without having to go through and pay to use someone else's channel. And George, that's something not exclusive to Microsoft and to LinkedIn. Um, all paid channels over time, if you see any of the social media channels over time, the cost of running ads on them and the reach that you get just diminishes over time because that increased competition, increased um, service of ads uh, that the platforms go to in order to maximize profits over time. That's quite normal. Uh, for LinkedIn, it's something that they may be a bit more aware of than some of the other channels so I guess they're a bit slower to grow the amount of ads on there, but for sure it is getting more and more expensive year on year, um, just like any other ad channel. So as George said, while you can afford it, use these channels, try on new ones when they're cheap and all the time, try and build an email list or direct users to channels where you can talk directly to them using your own means that you don't have to pay for. And remember listeners, being seen with ads requires a lot of work um, no one channel is going to be a silver bullet that you'll be able to use forever. Um, and the only one that potentially sits in that camp is the ones that you own. So things like email. So that means two things. It means you need to build your email list over time and you need to build those channels that you own. And secondly, you need to be testing and growing different channels over time. But make sure to use the same framework, apply and evaluate and use the ad channels that make sense to you. Uh, one at a time and then move on to the next one when you've tapped it out. Again, that's something that we'll talk in more detail about next episode. All right, Kev, I never get to do this. So I'm going to do the key takeaways for this episode. The first one is understand paid channels with some simple questions to figure out what's their advantage and where they're going. So you can use that knowledge to your advantage. 
The second one is over time, new channels are gonna come up. We saw that with TikTok very recently. Now, you can use this same method to evaluate these new channels. Finally, Kev, don't sit on your laurels. Channels are gonna come and go, except the ones that you own. So as you said, Kev, make sure that you're using these channels, uh, which of course you don't own, to actually build up the channels that you do own. So we always wanna have that direct line with, of communication with that potential customer. Oh, George, that was pretty good. Maybe you should start doing these more often. <laughs> All right, listeners, next week, we'll look at exactly how to use that knowledge to your advantage and how to pick the right channels for you. You can find links to everything we discuss in the show notes. And as always, we're grateful that each week, more and more marketers are tuning in every Monday. If we can ask one thing, it would be to please leave us a short review on whatever platform you listen on. And even better, if you could pass it on to someone who would get value from the show. It's an amazing help to us, to our future listeners, and we'd really appreciate it. Thank you, George. Thank you, listeners. Take care and see you next week. Thank you, Kevin. Please stop deleting photos of us. Thank you, listeners. Take care. (laughs) See you next week. A quick note before you go, listeners, you can find more great content and get in touch with us at theb2bplaybook.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter while you're there to get the latest news, tips, and resources from our playbook. We'll be back the same day and same time with another episode next week. Thanks for tuning in to the B2B Playbook. Remember, successful B2B marketing starts with the buyer.